Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. I'll set my gaze on God alone and trust in him completely. Father, as we turn to your word now, help us to learn to fix our sights on you and to increasingly get to that point where we can trust in you completely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have a Bible with you, then turn with me to Psalm 48. You'll find the Psalms halfway through the Bible. The book of Psalms, and this morning, it's Psalm 48. Psalm 48, a song, a psalm of the songs of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. Like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the great city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there like, a, like that of a woman in labour. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this is God, this is our God for ever and ever. He will be our guide, even to the end. On September the 11th, 2001, at the same time that terrorists deliberately flew two planes into the twin towers of New York's World Trade Center, American Airlines Flight 77 was also hijacked and was flown into the western side of the Pentagon, the headquarters of the United States Department of Defense. And at the same time, another plane, United Airlines Flight 93, was initially flown towards Washington, D.C., the home of the White House. But in an attempt by passengers and crew to take back control of the plane, it crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. The day after those horrendous events, a journalist wrote these words, If the Pentagon is not safe, and if the White House is not safe, then quite frankly, nowhere is safe. Nearly 19 years later, doesn't that describe how it feels today? As the coronavirus pandemic sweeps across the entire world, it feels as if nowhere is safe. Everyday routines don't feel safe anymore. A trip to the supermarket for essential supplies is dangerous. Touching the post that's been delivered through the door seems risky. Daily exercise seems edgy. It's weird. In some ways, everything looks the same and yet everything is different. As I go out for my daily run, the sun is shining, I can see the rolling hills of the Peak District, and yet there's something out there, something that is everywhere and yet at the same time is nowhere. This deadly virus is sweeping through our nation and all over the world, so that in a few short weeks everything has changed. We don't feel safe anymore. But on top of that, we can't meet anymore. 
As we followed the advice of the government and stay at home self-isolating, socially distancing, we're being starved of, of human interaction. Oh, oh, it's wonderful how modern technology enables most of us to stay connected through social media. Although I'm conscious that many, and often it's those who fall into the most at-risk group, many can't or don't use the internet and are bamboozled by social media platforms. But even for those of us who do, it's not the same. I mean, I'm thankful for it, but it's not the same as chatting to people face to face. Suddenly the most normal everyday interactions are edgy. Before all this, before all this happened, I worked from home and when the postman came, I'd open the door and take the post from him and we'd chat about the football and politics and sometimes religion. I enjoyed our little chats. Boy, do I miss the postman. Even when I'm out exercising, when someone comes along the path in the other direction, we take a wide berth. And so right now, I guess most of us would do anything to be able to live in a safe city, a place where you can go out of your own home without fear, a place where there was no corona, no conflict, no murder, no muggings, no scams, no sickness, no disease, no death. I'd love to find a safe city, and not just a safe city, but a, a bustling hive of activity where we can meet with everyone and anyone without looking at people with suspicion and them looking back at us, each of us wondering of the other, have they got it? I long for a safe city where I can enjoy normal relationships. And that's why today we're looking at Psalm 48, because that's precisely what this psalm is all about. It's about a city of supreme safety with a special relationship at its heart. Look with me at verse 1. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. The psalmist is writing about Jerusalem, Israel's capital around 2,500 years ago. And what does that have to do with Christians living in the 21st century? Well, as we considered last week, the earthly city Jerusalem is a picture, perhaps I'd use the word a prototype, of the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is our eternal hope. It's where the Bible ends. If you want to look it up later, turn to the last chapters of the book of Revelation, and especially chapter 21, which points us towards the heavenly new Jerusalem. It's the great eternal hope for all Christians. It was 37 years ago this week that I became a Christian, on the 25th of March, 1983. And one of the reasons I became a Christian was because of my fear of death. My best friend committed suicide when he was 16. So as a teenager, I'd come face to face with death and I found it terrifying to think of nothingness, of, of not existing. So when I heard that Jesus Christ had not only died for my sin, but risen again and defeated death, and that if I put my trust in him, I could be ready to meet God and spend all eternity with him in his glorious new heavenly Jerusalem, when I understood that, I didn't waste a moment and I started following Jesus Christ immediately. And from that moment, 37 years ago, the hope of heaven has been a wonderful assurance for me. But it's felt even more important this week. I've told you before about some daily prayers a friend of mine sent to me some years back, prayers that I pray most days. This is one of them, and I, I prayed it several times this week. It's very simple and short. Father, help me to set my eyes on the hope to come. 
It's a great prayer to pray because I find myself so easily distracted from that eternal hope. But I can tell you, as I prayed that prayer this week, I found myself longing for that eternal home. For the Christian, this psalm is about that eternal home, the heavenly Jerusalem, our future hope. The psalmist describes the city in verse two as beautiful. Many of the great cities of the world are just that. They are beautiful. Take Sydney, Australia. We were there as a family last August. I think of the harbour, the suspension bridge, the opera house, the Royal Botanic Gardens. On a glorious sunny day, it's a beautiful place. And Jerusalem today, even two and a half thousand years after the psalmist wrote those words, Jerusalem today remains beautiful. The old city with its narrow streets, bustling markets and historic buildings, it's beautiful. But for the psalmist, what makes the city so special? What what makes it so beautiful is not just that it was one of the great cities of the world, but that it was the city of God, verse 1. And end of verse 2, the city of the great king. And here's the thing. It was a great and beautiful city because God was there. Verse 3, God is in her citadels. And that's why the heavenly Jerusalem is such a beautiful place, because God dwells there. Read these first three verses again, and you'll see that this is not a psalm about a city. It's a psalm about God. Verse 1, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. The eternal heavenly Jerusalem that Christians so long for is so wonderful because it's where God is. And there are two reasons in this psalm why being with God in that heavenly city is so brilliant. Here's the first one. And if you're taking notes, the first heading, total security forever. Verses four to eight, four to eight are all about security and safety. See how the last line of verse eight summarizes this section. God makes her secure forever, totally secure forever. The psalmist paints us a powerful picture in verse four. All the mighty rulers of the world joining together in an alliance against the Israel of old. And then marching against Jerusalem, verse four, when the kings join forces, when they advance together. Picture it in your mind's eye. The most powerful armies in the world joined together in one awesome military alliance and converging on Jerusalem. All their military hardware trundling towards Israel's capital at the time. The city surrounded, besieged from every side. Tanks, missile launchers, ships offshore with their weapons all trained on the city. Airstrikes ready to go at a moment's notice, just waiting for the command. It's a terrifying picture. It's not exactly the threat we face today, but in many ways it's similar. The virus feels like an enemy surrounding us. Indeed, in his daily updates, the Prime Minister has used the language of warfare. We feel surrounded, besieged and overwhelmed. Yes, people are using optimistic language of beating the virus. But at the moment, we're facing something that we can't beat. That's the picture in verse 4. But then look at verse 5. They saw her, that is the surrounding armies. The surrounding armies saw Jerusalem. They saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. It's a remarkable turn of events, a most unexpected twist in the plot. Having seen seen these armies surrounding Jerusalem, if we were betting people, we'd put all our money on verse 5, telling us that Jerusalem was going to be annihilated. 
or at best that Israel's troops put up a good fight but were valiantly crushed. But what actually happens in verse 5 is that the enemy armies looked at Jerusalem and they fled in terror. Verse 6, they were gripped with fear like pain, like, with pain like that of a woman in childbirth. I've uh, witnessed childbirth twice. First, when Caroline, my wife, gave birth to our twins, and then when our son came along nearly three years later. And if you've never experienced childbirth, I can tell you it is very painful. There was Caroline holding my hand, and the pain. It was immense. I mean, she really crushed my hand. It really hurt. No, seriously, the pain of childbirth is extreme. And here are these mighty armies gripped with a fear like that of a woman overwhelmed with the pain of childbirth. And why? Because when they got within sight of the city, they saw that God was there. God, the great king of verse two. And one side of him, and they knew they were toast. Indeed, that's precisely what happened. They fled, verse five, but they couldn't escape. So talking to God, the psalmist says, verse seven, you destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. The greatest military powers in the world tossed aside like an ocean liner in a raging storm at sea. Do you see how powerful God is? How almighty and all-conquering he is? Even if you could get all the most powerful military hardware in the entire world all aimed at God, he'd still win. And you see what that tells us about the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 8. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Secure. Totally secure forever. That's the truth of the heavenly city. And it seems to me that's what we all want. That's the Christian confidence for the future. Being in a place where we're completely safe, protected by the Lord God Almighty, safe because all evil has been destroyed, all disease and sickness eradicated. Imagine waking up every day and never having a worry in the world ever again and knowing that every future day to come you'll never have a worry in the world ever again. Imagine never having to lock your door or look over your shoulder at night. Imagine never having to worry if there'll be enough food in the supermarket or if you might be infected or that you might lose your job or that you won't have enough money to pay the bills. Imagine never having to worry about death. That's the eternal future for Christians. Being in a city, a heavenly city, of total security. But if that's not great, and it is, it gets even better. From total security to, secondly, totally loved forever. Not only are we longing for a safe place right now, but we're missing special relationships. Well, look. Relationship is at the heart of the heavenly Jerusalem. The psalmist takes us inside the city, to the heart of the city, to the temple, verse 9, and he says, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. The temple is the place where human beings can meet God through sacrifice. And for Christians, any talk of the temple takes us to Jesus Christ and to his cross. Because in John's Gospel in chapter 2, Jesus described himself as the temple. And he did that because it's through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross that we can meet God. Our sin isolates us from God the Father, keeps us apart from him, ruins our relationship with him. But Jesus, God's Son, who was always in perfect relationship with his Father, 
took on the isolation that we deserved, taking the punishment we deserved. He was separated from his father on the cross. And so on the cross, Jesus makes it possible for us to come back into a perfect relationship with God, our father. And as we meditate on the cross, to use the word from verse nine, as we meditate on the cross of Jesus, we discover verse nine, unfailing love. I love that word unfailing, unfailing love. In human relationships, love will end, it will fail, either because of a terrible breakdown of the relationship or temporarily when we feel let down or get mad with someone or because we're isolated from them. Not that we stop loving them when we're separated from them, but because we can't experience their love. And of course, that happens at death. So even the best human relationships you could ever experience will end one day. And when that happens, it's agony. But in God, because of Jesus' death on the cross, restoring our relationship with him, we can know a relationship, the best relationship ever, the relationship we were made for. We can know a relationship that will never end, a relationship of unfailing love. And it's the cross of Jesus Christ that assures us of God's unfailing love. And we need to know that right now. With everything going on around us, I wouldn't be at all surprised if some watching this are wondering if God is a loving God. If God loves us, why doesn't he do something? You might have lost your job and you're worried sick about the future. (laughs) Not just the future, you're worried about putting food on the table today. Others of you have underlying health issues and you're fearful of contracting the disease. Or you have a loved one, an elderly relative, and you can't see them and you fear for them. Others might already have lost someone. And you're left thinking, does God care? Is he a loving God? Well, as we look at the cross of the Lord Jesus, we can know he does care and that he is loving. He loves you enough to die for you. He died so that you could have a future beyond this world, beyond this broken and infected world, a future that's completely secure, a future with the most special relationship at its heart and centre, a relationship with God. What a great God he is. He loves us enough to die for us. And verse 10, we can praise him for his righteousness. He always does the right thing. And verse 11, we can praise him for his judgments. He always makes the right call, makes the right decisions. What a thought, a totally safe and secure city in a perfect loving relationship forever with one who is completely perfect. And yes, all to be spent with those who we love, who've put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so in this time when we we long to be safe and when we crave relationships, think on the future heavenly Jerusalem. In your mind's eye, verse 12, walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels. The psalmist says, think about how safe you'll be in the heavenly Jerusalem. Rejoice in that future. And then end of verse 13, Tell it to the next generation. Share your hope with others because right now many people are longing for safety and relationship. Tell them that verse 14, this God, this mighty God is our God. He can be known personally. And when we know him, end of verse 14, he will guide us, giving us direction through this time and right to the end of times until we're finally with him, totally secure and totally loved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you that in this terrifying time, we as Christians have a great hope. We thank you for the great hope of the heavenly Jerusalem that you have set before us. We thank you that as we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, that hope is certain and secure. And we thank you that it is a place of total security and of the most wonderful relationship with you. Help us to fix our eyes on that place and on that relationship with you. Help us to remember it and to enjoy it forever. In Jesus' name, amen.